Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, it's a genuine delight to have Lorna Lawless as my guest. Lorna is a coaching psychologist who specializes in coaching mental toughness. So buckle up because you're in for a bumpy ride today. Lorna, welcome. Thank you for having me, Marcus. I'm very, very happy to be speaking with you today. Excellent. Okay, so let's kick off with 60 seconds on your background, please. Okay, so I have a background in coaching and positive psychology. I did my master's down in Cork at university. When I came out, I began a PhD in emotional intelligence, had to uh, shelf that because I was broke mentally and financially. Started up my coaching practice in 2016, was offered to or asked to come in and coach people on a program called Wimp to Warrior, which is a mixed martial arts based transformational program. When I was there, I enjoyed hearing all their stories so much in terms of their journey so far and the transformations they had made, not only physically, but mentally from true taking on challenges and completely stepping outside of their comfort zone. After that, I became a qualified assessor in the MTQ, which is the Mental Toughness Questionnaire Psychometric that's used. And I am now a master trainer for AQR International that are based on your side of the pond in the UK. And they publish um, these mental toughness psychometric assessments. Excellent. This sounds like it's going to be fun. Okay. So first of all, what is mental toughness? So mental toughness is a personality trait, which explains to some extent how we mentally respond when we're exposed to stress and pressure, uh, but also when opportunities and challenges come our way. Okay. So why do people lack mental toughness? What are the, um, the things that suppress it? So psychologists would generally believe that if it's a personality trait, that means that we are all born with a certain level of mental toughness, just like we're all born with a certain level of happiness or introverts uh, being an extrovert. Our mental toughness is a trait and people will lack it if you don't practice it, let's say. This is a skill, most much like any other mental skills that we have. If you can align them to think of a physical skill or a muscle, If you don't practice it, it becomes weaker. So the more you use it, the stronger it gets. If you don't use it, it's going to be, uh, you'll end up on the more sensitive end of the mental toughness scale. And by the sensitive end, you mean? The opposite to being mentally tough. So we don't use, people would, true lexicon, obviously, or, you know, language, you would think that the opposite of mental toughness is mental weakness. It is not. It is mental sensitivity. And again, there are strengths and limitations at every point of the scale. It's not saying that mental toughness is a panacea. It's going to fix everything. There's sometimes uh, where being more mentally sensitive, having a more mentally sensitive approach would be more appropriate. But yeah, so if if you're not practicing it, you could be further down the end. But it really is what we're trying to get across in terms of the mental toughness model is just self-awareness is key. So as I said, we're not saying that you have to be a 10, you know, so it is measured on a scale of one to 10, one being mentally sensitive and 10 being mentally tough. We're not saying that you have to be a 10 across the board for all these different skills, but really you need to be aware of where you're at. And if it's something that you want to change, or if you feel that you should increase it, then yes, absolutely engage in self-awareness and exercises to develop that. Okay, so I'll explore those uh, shortly. So 
In terms of the inner dialogue, the uh, the scripting that people on the sensitive end uh, will tend to run, what might that sound like? So on the sensitive end, so firstly, just to explain for your listeners, our mental toughness is made up of four core psychological skills. We call them the four C's. So they are control, commitment, challenge, and confidence. And control really refers to the perception of control that you have over your life. And if you are in a mindset of, I can do this, you know, I'm sitting in the driver's seat of my own life. If we're on the mentally sensitive end of it, we might be more likely to think that someone else is in the driver's seat of our life. If you get me, you know, someone else is navigating your path. When we look at commitment, that one's a little bit more straightforward. We know if we're mentally tough, we are committing to the goals we're setting ourselves and we understand why it's important for our personal development to, to continue to set goals. When we're on the mentally sensitive end of commitment, we're not keeping the promises that we've made to ourselves. And we might, like we wouldn't enjoy setting goals and the thoughts of a performance appraisal might you know make your stomach turn whereas when you're on the mentally tough end of that people are they're hungry for it you know they're looking for a list of things to do they're looking for ways to measure their progress so yeah obviously as i said the opposite end of that then would be to just be shy and away from from anything where you're you know asked to commit to something when we look at challenge Challenge really is about your your willingness or openness to to take on new things, uh, new ideas, be open to opportunities that come your way. On the mentally sensitive end of it, if we're we're sensitive towards challenges, we don't like change, we don't like going new places, don't particularly like trying new things or meeting new people. We may also fail to kind of learn from the, if we have put ourselves outside of our comfort zone and it hasn't worked out for whatever reason you know, our ability to kind of look back and reflect on that and learn from no matter what happened, uh, you know, whether it was good or bad. So that that's kind of our, our mindset around challenge. If we're sensitive to that, it's like, oh no, I'm staying in the comfort zone. I, I don't want to try something new because what if I fail and what if I look silly? Finally, when we're looking at confidence, again, <clears throat> obviously if we're we're on the mentally tough end of the the confidence scale, we have confidence in our own abilities, our, our skills, whether they're hard skills or soft skills, you know, like our actual ability to do our job or our ability to interact within a group, within a team, put up your hand, ask that silly question. And again, when we're on the mentally sensitive end of that, our confidence will be lower. We mightn't be inclined to ask a question. We might need a lot of hand holding. You know, there's not a lot of uh, intuition or, you know, working off your own guard. You might you might need a lot or of initiative. Uh, yeah, an initiative. Yes. Thank you, Mark, because that was the word I was looking for. So, yeah, when, when we're on the sensitive end of confidence, initiative lacks and we're, we're looking for someone to tell us that we're doing a good job and to approve everything. That's a quick look around the model. I think one of the key areas I'd like to explore um, is how mental toughness uh, affects people's appetite for risking yeah. and how often it causes them uh, or lack of mental toughness will cause them to fall into the sacrifice trap. Yes. So the way I define the two, sacrifice is going from higher to lower value and there's no upside, whereas risking is going from lower to higher value 
with the possibility that you might lose some or all of what you've got. And from your description, particularly around challenge and confidence, it strikes me that that's a critical area, certainly in business, that can be dramatically affected by mental toughness. Can we explore that for a while? Yes, absolutely. So again, within each of the four C's, so we have challenge, confidence, commitment and control. If you look at the model there, each broken down into there's two sub elements uh, amongst them. So challenge is actually split into risk orientation and learning orientation. That really does explain the extent to which well, when we're looking at risk alone. And as I said, the extent to which you're open to new ideas and to change. So when it comes to, as you said, either the sacrifice or the risk, and um, it's it's really about one, are you willing to do it in the first place? Do you believe that? And like, look, risk has, it can be a double-edged sword, you know, and it can be quite addictive risk taking. It does, you know, it engages a, an area in our brain that's associated with, with gambling and, you know, take, but there is a reason why it is addictive and we get that little dopamine release and, and, um, it's a wonderful feeling, especially when things go right for us. When, as you said, the, the kind of, if you're in the sacrifice phase where you're just like, to me, that would also, I, I know you, you're talking about things going down in value, but it's also, I think that can, it can be risky to just be stagnant, to just be still and complacent. This is, detrimental to a business mindset, to any sort of growth mindset. Being stagnant is worse than, I think, taking the risk and losing. At least when we're taking the risk, we are learning at the same time, whether it worked out or not. If you, you know, Coach Kavanaugh has a, a book, you know, Win or Learn. And that's really, it's it's all about how we're mentally responding and looking at our the opportunities that are coming our way. Are we shying away from it to stay stagnant in the comfort zone, which gets us nowhere ultimately? Or are we willing to push that growth, to take on the risk, see what happens, even if it goes wrong? You now are in a better position. You know something more than you did from standing still. It's really interesting because you just sparked a whole load of thoughts in my mind in terms of the growth versus fixed mindset the difference between finite and infinite gameplay and the understanding how to make a decision about a risk. When you're assessing a risk, you work out the pros and cons and you imagine what the worst case scenario is. If the worst case scenario is something you can live with, take it. Mm. If you can't, don't. And I think part of the problem is that often people will be goaded if they don't have a high enough level of awareness or they don't have a strong enough will to resist the pressure of others to say no to things that they know that that aren't a good risk, they're not a good bet. And so I'm curious how often people who lack mental toughness find themselves being dragged into other people's gameplay and uh, becoming part of someone else's plan. But equally, if they're too strong on the mental toughness scale, how often they might be goaded because of their ego into taking rash uh, decisions and bad risks. I'd be curious about your thoughts on that. So again, this is where, you know, being self-aware of where you are or your your kind of typical mindset around these things is so important. When we have that self-awareness and we know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm high on the risk scale 
that I am happy to go out and take on a challenge, but not so great at really thinking it through. And when I say risk taking and taking on challenges like that, as you said, like you still have to be mindful and be careful of yourself. But that's where you you could and where this is lovely when we look at mental toughness across a team of people, Mm -hmm. because that's when you could pull in the person who you know is a little bit more cautious and have that open kind of dialogue and conversation. And they might ask questions that you haven't asked yourself yet. So that's where that balance would come in. And equally, as, as you said, what is it like for the people who are too sensitive? If you are aware of that, and again, this is what I'm saying, mental sensitivity is not a bad thing. It's just about being aware of, of where you're at. It doesn't mean that you're wrong to not take a risk. You might just be over kind of calculating the risk assessments or thinking of things that aren't really a possibility, worrying, becoming ang- like anxious over things that may never be anything. And I think that's what keeps us stagnant is that fear of the unknown. So that's where Again, if you had someone on your team or even a friend, a close person in your life who you know, they're a little bit more risk taking, like communication is key and, and, and be self-aware, know where you're at, know where your other people on the opposite end of the scale are and pull them in to the conversation when you need them. Right. So that then raises the question of ego. Because in my experience, and certainly I've used to suffer from this more than I do now. Yes. But I always found the idea of asking for help was an act of weakness. And actually, I found vulnerability is an incredible strength. When I go into work with clients, I always try and position myself as the intelligent idiot. I know nothing. And I want you to talk to me like I'm an eight-year-old. And explain to me in the simplest possible terms uh, what it is that you're trying to achieve, why you're doing it, and what's happening so that I can uh, have a fresh perspective. You know, the Japanese talk about the child mind. And I think part of that is fueled by an innate curiosity. And if you don't have curiosity, how does that affect mental toughness? Very good question. So I think you're, you're, dead right in terms of when our ego is in control, we lack curiosity because we're unable to, as you said, either ask for help or admit that we don't fully know as much as we would like to about a topic. When we kind of begin to let that go is when we can embrace these things and we can take on other people's opinions as well is a massive thing when the ego gets in the way is it stops us like we just put up a a wall, you know, in terms of what we're we're listening to um, and whose advice we're willing to take or, or ask for. So the ego can be a huge thing. Again, it's another thing that just being self-aware around yourself and these behaviors can really play a, a huge role in terms of your own personal development. If this is an area that you want to to work on, if you kind of go, oh, well, listen, I am a bit sensitive to taking advice on a project, let's say, or I, you know, I, I'm messed up that last one. And I, I'm not really sure where I went wrong, but I don't want to make the same mistake again. But I also don't want to admit my mistakes. And I don't want to engage in that conversation where I will ask for feedback or reflect on that journey. So really being aware of our ego and the role that it plays is going to have a massive impact on your willingness to bring about change. 
Okay, so again, another flurry of thoughts have come off this. So I, I think one of my favorite maxims is uh, comes from my friend, Dr. Mark Goulston. And uh, he's a mentor of mine. He said, uh, let go or be dragged. Yes. And I think often attachment to old past hurts, that sometimes you reach back into your history and you drag the emotion into the present. Yeah. And that um, afterburn results in you feeling that paralysis, that helplessness, that anger, that hurt yeah. uh, all over again. So learning to let go. The, the Buddha said it better than me. Attachment is a route to all misery. And it's a really hard lesson to learn and then continue to implement that you need to be unattached to the outcome. You need to be ready to go into a situation. My own performance coach sent me something this weekend, which I think is very profound, which is the key to obtaining the best results when collaborating with others is not to think you know exactly what you're doing. Yes. And I see this with some of the best leaders that I've ever met. Uh, one that I'm particularly uh, in awe of is a chap called Michael Brody Waite. And he was uh, an ex-drug addict and he's managed to stay clean for the last nine, 18, 19 years. Uh, he's built three businesses, including an Inc. 500 business. And what was really interesting was his turning point was when he became vulnerable enough to admit he didn't know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He was growing this incredibly fast growth business. And he admitted to his team, you know, I really haven't got a clue. What the hell do I do? And that was the turning point. JFK, after the Bay of Pigs, when he admitted that he'd fucked up, that's when he really started to gain stature. And I think far too often, a lack of self-forgiveness is at the root cause of preventing people from developing mental toughness. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. I feel that, as you said, the, the whole kind of being able to forgive yourself, firstly, being vulnerable. Vulnerability is one of the most amazing state of minds you can lean into. It is scary as fuck. Yep. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it absolutely <laughs> is. But the growth that you feel on the other side and vulnerability, you know, I'm I'm talking in all aspects, be it taking on a challenge at work, being vulnerable enough to let your guard down, as you said, and kind of admit that you don't know where you're at. Sometimes taking a risk and being vulnerable also means letting someone else in, as in like actually listening to somebody else's ideas and taking them on and trusting that they might work, especially if we, sometimes we have kind of control issues around how exactly how everything should be done. So I think being able to open up and be honest with yourself, there, that is a, a risk that you're taking. It's, it's part of the whole challenge aspect of your mental toughness. And importantly as well, we're not just looking at risk orientation. If we look at the learning orientation and that ability, as I said, to kind of look back and reflect on things, whether they went right or wrong, sometimes we're better at doing this when, when things have gone wrong because we love to punish ourselves right and then get <laughs> ourselves and as you said we, mistake. yeah so we keep bringing <laughs> we keep bringing that mistake back up and we run ourselves into the ground and I was fucking dope for doing that you know and I'm never making that mistake again and so like yeah we can be quite we can be well rehearsed when it comes to uh beating ourselves up over past mistakes but all that does is as you kind of alluded to is it, it feeds into this paralysis then about ever moving forward again so 
really our ability to build our mental toughness relies a lot on our, our ability to look in, to be honest with ourselves, to have that conversation with other people as well, because you would be amazed, you know, that we have top people, top management or CEOs, and they would get their, their mental toughness assessed. And then, you know, if we did a, a 360 review, then their, their team might think <laughs> totally different things. Um, and the other thing as well is the, especially being, and this does unfortunately happen to people more on the mentally tough end of the scale, is that there's a lot more blind sides on that end of the scale than there is on the on the mentally sensitive. And this is why I'm saying being mentally sensitive isn't always a bad thing. It means that your eyes are open, you're reading a room, you're sensing the tone of conversation, even in an email. And yes, it can have its own limitations. Being too sensitive, you can, you can, it, that can also put you into paralysis. But when we're mentally, very mentally tough, what we tend to see is that there's more blind sides there. One reason might be because when we're mentally tough, we're kind of of, of this mindset of, oh, well, if I can do it, why can't you? If I can take on that workload, why can't you? Why is my team lagging? Why is my, you know, why is my colleague, why haven't they gotten that done yet? I would have had that done in any, you know, so it, it, it's assuming there's a lot of assumption that happens at that end of the, yeah. you know, the mental toughness scale. Um, and it just kind of thinking, well, I have the capacity. I, this doesn't stress me out. I enjoy this. I love a to-do list, you know, give me targets to hit. Whereas that, that could be, you know, have the opposite effect on, on someone else who could be on your team who's more mentally sensitive. But as I said, the mentally sensitive people will acknowledge it and they'll see it faster than people who are very mentally tough. So again, flurry of thoughts have hit me here. The root of the word vulnerable is the Latin word vulnerabilis. And it means to make yourself woundable and do it anyway. Okay. So a Roman legionary would rip off his breastplate and go into a battle unarmored. Yeah. Bit fucking crazy, but definitely an act of courage. And vulnerability requires you to put yourself in harm's way. There is a risk that people will judge you, that you will fail, that you will look stupid. But if you can leave your ego at the door, then it makes it much, much easier. Again, I mean, a couple of things that have uh, you sparked uh, my thinking around. One is that self-reflection piece. The best salespeople, the best managers that I know are people who spend time on a daily basis in self-reflection and on a regular basis, probably once a week, have thinking time, which they diarize, they schedule, and they make it sacrosanct. And they turn up with a blank notepad, a pen, no distractions, and one question. And then they work on the hardest thing that they need to deal with. They do the difficult work. They do the difficult thinking. The other thing that they can do is keep a journal. And uh, journaling is very powerful. And one of the things I always encourage people to do in their journal is write down the F cube, the fears, failures, and fuck-ups. And when you write it down and then you say it out loud, the majority of people find that it has a weaker hold on them. So you score, when you've written it down, you score it yeah. out of 10. And then you say it out loud and then you score it again. And interestingly enough, the majority of people will find that score drops yeah. and it has less of a hold on them. And that attachment to the self-flagellating, beat the crap out of yourself uh, kind of inner dialogue is loosened. And that frees you up to make better, more rational choices. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the, the other thing that you touched on is blind spots, particularly at the high end of the mental toughness spectrum, yeah. where you prejudge prejudice. Prejudgment is the, the root of prejudice, where you make assumptions on the basis of your own limited, blinkered view of the world. Yes. And this is where diverse teams are really powerful. So long as people have a voice, they're not punished for expressing their opinion. And so you need to create a safe environment. There needs to be equality in the room. Yes. And everybody has to have permission to say their piece. And if you do that, then what you end up finding is that diverse teams end up solving problems much more effectively and creatively than teams that are made up of people with a very similar mindset or a similar background. Yes. So if you care to elaborate on that. So I I think where, you know, this comes into, I think this plays a lot into the, the kind of concept of psychological safety. And it's been one of Google have shown in their project Aristotle research. It's it's the one thing that makes high performing teams work. You know, they Google did this big research and you know, what is it? Is it different strengths? Is it, you know, different departments? Is it different areas that, that make teams flourish? And what they found was when you take all that stuff away, it doesn't really matter. What makes a high performing team is a team that feels psychologically safe. So psychological safety alludes to the ability of every member on the team to feel heard, that, you know, they do this, they refer a lot to, you know, ostentatious listening, you know, so it's giving everyone time. If you are in a meeting like that, making sure that it's not being dominated by one person, usually the mentally tough person who has all these ideas and they're the drivers and they're the, you know, the one in, in control and we can do this. Let's commit to the goals. Let's take on the challenge. But then there might be someone, yeah, as you said, within a diverse team who's, who's more mentally sensitive, they can balance this approach to projects. However, if that person who's more mentally sensitive, and as I went through, you know, you might remember the, when I was talking about confidence and confidence in groups, and if we are on the mentally sensitive spectrum, you might be less likely to put your hand up. All right. But it, what's important is that if you do, there is that psychological safety there to feel listened to, to feel heard. So, you know, there, there is a, a lot of research um, around this that does show that this kind of, if someone comes up to you on your team, no matter who they are, don't be talking to them while you're typing, you know, and like, and, and be honest with that, like tell them that you, you need to finish this off, but then, you know, like ostentatiously, you, you turn around and you look and you like, not creepily or intensely or anything like that, but you, you know, give that person eye contact, let them feel heard. My friend Ron Vopadais came up with this concept that attention is a currency. You pay attention. Yes. And um, yeah, yeah. The, the more attention you pay, the more likely the other person is to engage. And I think listening is the transfer of understanding. If you listen really intently and Mark Goulston talks about surgical listening, where you listen with incredible depth and precision. And you're listening to what's being said, what's not being said, how it's being said. And uh, listening is a whole body experience. It's not something that you can do if you're not present. And I think part of the problem in uh, so many teams and sales situations is that 
people are waiting for a, a gap in uh, the, uh, the dialogue so that they can fill it with the sound of their own voice. But what I've found is that the three most important traits in salespeople are empathy, mm-hmm. listening, yeah. and insightful questioning. And those three things are skills that will take you a very, very long way, whether you're in sales, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a manager, a leader, CEO, whatever. In life, in general? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really fascinated. I'm going to be digging into Project Aristotle. Project Oxygen was another really fascinating study that they did yes. uh, at Google about what it takes to be a great manager. The really interesting thing there was that the number one trait of great managers was the people in the team would recommend joining the team because they felt safe, they felt heard, they felt included, and they felt that they were doing important and meaningful work. I need to look up more Google projects, I think. Yeah, me too, actually. I'm not too familiar with the oxygen one. I'll check it out. No, it's brilliant. I think one of the other things that I'm really interested in is uh, Ray Dalio uh, runs the world's largest privately owned hedge fund. And he has something uh, in their business. He wrote a fabulous book called Principles. But one of the principles that they run is that they never punish failure. They punish hiding it. Ah, yes. And they keep a failure log so that they can all learn from it. And I think that's really key. Yes. To developing the mental toughness of your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, as you said, we don't, you don't ever want to reward someone or punish someone for stepping outside of their comfort zone. In fact, you want to reward that no matter what the result. Or for taking risk. Yes. Yeah. Taking risk. Uh, So really it's, and this comes back to, as I said, that challenge aspect of the model, how it's broken into risk and learning. And it's, it's so important that those two factors are there, that that's why there is sub factors on, on each of the four C's, you know, because one is about having, you know, the cojones and the creativity and all that to, to, to do it, to, to take that risk. And then the second is to be able to reflect and learn from it, be in a failure log. I absolutely love that. That's an amazing idea. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And, you know, also if it went right, what, what went right, what would you do differently? You know, so it's all of these things are just going to add up to your, your overall development. So given that there are two, there's the yin and the yang for all four of them. What, what's the yin and the yang for control then? Control is emotional control and life control. So again, life control is very much, do you have this sense of, I can do it? I mean, even if it's a, a skill that you don't have yet, you know, let's say typically I'll just use an example of, you know, doing DIY at home or something, right? And I, I might not... Don't involve yourself. That's <laughs> DIY. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Get, get somebody else to do it. <laughs> that could be your decision that you make. Yeah. But if it was something that you wanted to do, I'll just use it as a, a hypothetical example. <laughs> so I might know that I don't know how to wire a plug, but do I have the mindset where I'm going, well, I don't know how to do it, but I could find out. I could watch a video I could pick up a book I could you know get a tutorial it's that mindset and that's what it's not necessary when we talk about mental toughness we're not always talking about the behavior that results it's more about the mindset how you're mentally approaching it so it's just do I think that I can do it if I wanted to even if it's something difficult 
forget the DIY thing. You could want to learn a language. You could want to move into a different field. It's this ability to, you know, our mental response to say, I either I can instead of I can't. Because how often do we want to try something new? And it's like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm not. That's not what my degree is in. Or that's no, one is in no one in our family ever. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Who, who are you to uh, think that you can do that? Yes. You're too yeah. big for your bridges. Yeah, exactly. Who could? You can't do that. So this is what I mean. It's, it's about mindset. It's not necessarily always about translatable behaviors, you know, that, that we can see down the line. It starts with how you're thinking about it. So when we're looking at control, life control is very much, uh, well, I feel it is anyway. It, it, it's about our perception, our mental perception of what we can and can't control in our lives. Looking at the sensitive end of that, Marcus, if you're on the sensitive end of life control, people can be typically like fatalists a little bit, you know, common things that they might say is that's just so typical that that happened to me. Or it's so typical that I didn't get that job or that pitch or that, you know, I didn't hit my target or so-and-so. Well, that's a victim mindset. Yes, it's a victim mindset. It's always looking for external reasons. Why? Because they don't have the perception that they are in control of what you can do, you know? So that's life control. And the emotional control is self-explanatory. How good are you at controlling your emotions in the moment? So again, we all have moments where we People think that very mentally tough people who are good at putting on a mask and maintaining poise and they never show their anxieties and you could you can't tell if they're nervous and they're like, oh, they're like, they must be emotionless. That's not the case. They experience as much emotions as the highly sensitive person. They just process it in a more efficient way. And they have that ability to kind of control when and where they process those emotions. Interestingly enough, in my experience, and I may just be a freak, I find context matters there. In a business environment, I'm much more able to control my emotion at home, less so. And my level of attachment at home is significantly higher because I've learned at work that I don't control the outcome. I can only control my behavior going in there, but I do take ownership of the outcome every single time. And that's taken years, decades to, to learn to do. But that attachment, that emotional attachment to the outcome, how people perceive you, how people behave in a particular context can be a huge psychological trigger. And that's often uh, my Achilles heel when I'm at home, because certainly when we were, uh, the kids were younger, you know, finding myself treading on a piece of Lego would uh, re result in a volcanic response. Yeah, absolutely um, snapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I've realized that I am the idiot they think I am. And by and large, they're right, although I don't like to admit it. So, okay. And um, so if we look at the commitment spectrum, what do both ends of that look like? So commitment is divided into goal orientation and achievement orientation. Again, I think we're all familiar with getting energized around setting goals. If you are a goal setter, that's a great thing. And, you know, New Year's Eve is probably your favorite thing ever because you have all these promises that you're going to, you know, you're by the third of January, you've forgotten. Yes, exactly. They're <laughs> gone out the door. So, as human beings, 
that's very natural for us. So that's why we're split into goal orientation. To what extent are you, you know, setting goals for yourself and, you know, or does that energize you or does it drain you? And then the other side of it is achievement orientation. So to what extent are you actually delivering then on those goals that you have set for yourself? That's really interesting because I've always really struggled with goal setting um, until I realized that material goals really don't interest me. The material gain is a byproduct of having a big, hairy ass, audacious goal. So in October 2020, I left my previous business and set up a new one. And I set myself four outrageous, nigh on impossible goals. Now, those drive me. And what's interesting is how much I've achieved in such a short space of time, because the excitement of knowing that failure is almost inevitable and it doesn't matter. Whereas when I set myself, um, you know, uh, sales targets or other goals, I found that they, uh, my motivation drained very quickly. So, you know, and working with eight companies over the next eight years to take them to a billion dollar revenue and transforming the way the marketing industry works to eliminate the waste, transforming the way venture capital and private equity invest to drive companies to go for growth rather than sustainability, profitability, and be customer orientated and to turn sales into a force for good. I'm pretty sure none of those will ultimately be attained by the time I'm uh, pushing up daisies. But it doesn't matter because they're such exciting objectives. Yes, it's it's the mental energy that we get from just setting the, uh, you know, picturing it and, and, and getting it. As you said, it's the, I mean, you're pulling in a bit of risk uh, orientation there as well, you know, which is lovely. When we kind of, when we tend to combine our commitment and, and challenge uh, like one of the biggest outcomes we get there is, you know, our aspirations are increased um, because we are, we're dreaming bigger. We're pushing out the boat and we know that we can commit to these goals or get them over the line. And if we don't, then they weren't meant to be or somebody else will carry it over the line for us. So I think it really does help us expand what we believe we can and can't achieve. So this again speaks to that open growth mindset versus a closed and uh, yeah. finite mindset. Okay, what about confidence? What are the two ends of the spectrum? Confidence there? is split into confidence in abilities and interpersonal confidence. So again, we know just that we're, you know, we're complex people and hopefully with a, a, a diverse or complex team, it's important to kind of understand that somebody might be very confident in their ability to sell or you know to do their job the 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 hard work but they might have the same levels of interpersonal confidence so they might actually be the quiet one in the team meeting or the one that doesn't put the their hand up but they may also be a top performer on the flip side of that we could have people who are the talk of you know the town and they can talk themselves into anything they're interpersonal confidence is through the roof and even if their opinion is you know unpopular or they have you know so that they've still have no problem getting it across or kind of engaging and well obviously hopefully healthy uh conflict resolution but their actual 
confidence in their abilities mightn't be that high. So, you know, we have to just, it, it's important for us to understand each end of, you know, these kind of concepts in terms of the more, and again, I, I'm just going to keep coming back to it, it's self-awareness. The more we are aware of ourselves and of our team and the, as you said, the diversity amongst the team, the better we can place people and we can work with people as well. So what I'd really like to dig into is some real life examples of how raising one's level of self-awareness allows you to then take back more control, have better choices. Uh, Could you share a couple of examples? Yes, I can. I can give you an example of if if I just walked you through a profile of, let's say, a CEO of a very big business over in the UK. Since lockdown, obviously everything moved to home. Uh, This person has a fairly high level of mental toughness. They'd score at a seven. So normatively you say, okay, they're relatively mentally tough. They would score quite high on certain areas of their profile. So where it is really helpful to develop self-awareness. And again, this is one of the things that we can really get through using the mental toughness assessments and kind of engaging and coaching or team coaching around this. Because as I said, our, our blind sides are there for us to, to expose with the assessments. So again, just going back to this example, this person, you know, overall mental toughness score of a seven, relatively high. But when we looked at the profile, the emotional control score was only a three. So that's quite on the on the sensitive end of it. Again, life control was a nine, you know, so like very mentally tough in some ways and and sensitive in others. This is like where carrying a lot of baggage and hurt. Carrying a lot of baggage and hurt. And as it can well, actually, as it turned out, was that this person, because of the position they were in in the company, is used to having several direct reports and people running around and kind of doing work for them. Now, working from home changed that dynamic. People are on flexi hours. You might be trying to get Susan on the phone, but she's not logging on until seven because the kids are at home. So that control slipped very quickly. Ah, right. You see, so the life control in the sense of I can do this. Great. You have a team of people around you to do it. When that team slipped, not slipped, when it changed, obviously everyone was just working from home. This emotional control, the anxiety that this person was feeling was growing and growing and growing because things weren't being done exactly how they wanted them to be done. That's one example. Another one would be... So just, just very quickly, yeah. um, how did this CEO react and what did raising awareness do in order to improve their res- uh, rational response? So they were able to obviously develop a bit of self-awareness and they, they knew... Emotional control is one of those things that I think you know when you're not being, it's, it, that's not going to be a surprise to you, uh, especially on an assessment, obviously, that it, like, it's a self-report measure. So if you scored at a three, you have obviously responded to a certain amount of questions in a certain way. So yeah, it was just about being able to bring in like anxiety control tools and techniques that we all have, you know, take a breather. Like do some some meditative breathing or box breathing is a great one. 
Can you explain what box breathing yeah, is? Yeah, sorry. So uh, box breathing, I love this one because it, it very rapidly regulates your, uh, your nervous system. The Navy SEALs use this in their training and in combat to, to bring down the response of their nervous system. So I trust those guys <laughs> in, in, a, in a hot situation. So box breathing. And the other reason why I like it is it's simple to coach because it's only four steps on everything. Some breathing techniques can be breathing for five and hold for seven and, you know, exhale for whatever it is. It, it gets confusing for people. So box breathing, very simple, four steps. You inhale through the nose for four seconds. You hold that breath for four seconds. Exhale through the mouth for four seconds and hold that breath for four seconds. So you can do a cycle. You, and again, usually four rounds of it is enough. I like to kind of visualize, you know, drawing a, a little box or something for the box breathing. So hold, hold, and so on. So it's um, it's really, really beneficial if anyone wants to have an, an, an emotional control tool in their back pocket. So yeah, I, I, was it Sean Doherty who put the two of us together? No, it was. Well, if, if anyone's interested in learning breath techniques, an old client of mine, Sean Doherty, is now uh, a breath coach. Oh, very um, good. So yeah. if if uh, anyone wants to learn uh, breathing skills, then very happy to make the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I just think breath skills is one of the best. If you want to get in control of your emotions, if you suffer from anxiety, which a lot of us do, and it's only gone up in the last 15 months for most people, but your breath is a tool that you will always have with you. Like invest in learning these things. If you're just about to give a presentation, what's the first thing that's going to go? When we get triggered, when we get nervous and our nervous system kicks in, you know, we have uh, cortisol being released and everything tenses up, your breath quickens or sometimes you stop breathing at all. You know, so we can, I think people are so keen, they'd invest so much money in fitness things or courses or whatever. And it's like at the end of the day, the only tool that you always have with you is your breath going into any presentation, doing any job. So if you learn to control it, you can learn to control your emotional response to things. Excellent. Lorna, we, sadly, we've come to time. So a couple of uh, quick questions. What, what, what are you struggling with at the moment? What are you wrestling with? At the minute, I am wrestling, I suppose, just kind of coming out from COVID. I think it was very easy for us at uh, when everyone was working from home. It was like a, I took on a lot. You know, you take on a lot of projects and stuff like that. And now it's kind of rolling out. Everything is rolling out together as well. So I'm struggling just in the last week or so, but just kind of focusing and, uh, and getting back to systemized way of, of doing things. Are you calendar blocking? No, but I need to. I do need to do uh, Absolutely. Always start with the personal first. Yeah, okay. And then admin. Then yeah. study. Yeah. Make sure you build that in because the learning piece is critical. Absolutely. Um, then execution of whatever projects you have to do. Then prospecting, very important. The problem is that if you focus on doing the projects, you'll end up with peaks and troughs. Yes. Yeah. So always make sure that you set time aside on a daily basis, a little and often for prospecting, also for meeting new prospects. So if you have that structure, then very quickly, 
and fill out your calendar 90 days in advance. Okay. Yeah, I like so that. that. You've got specific time set aside for each of these different elements. And interestingly enough, the rule is the task always expands to the time allotted to it. Okay. And so if you set three hours for working on a particular project, you'll get the job done in three hours. If you yeah. don't set that time, then it will drag on into the early hours of the morning. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And learn to have the discipline to say no as well. That's the other really important thing. Uh, yes, um, absolutely. And I do feel, especially working from home, it was very hard to say no to things, you know. One is, you know, if you wanted to keep the days interesting and stuff like that. But as I said, it's, um, and what else would you be doing just at home? Proud to be working. But yeah, as you said, learning to say no, that'll be my... Excellent. Okay. So um, if you were to recommend some books or audios, videos for people to work on their mental toughness, what would you recommend? My response to this is going to tie into two questions. There is a book called Developing Mental Toughness. And it was going to be actually a suggestion um, at the end. I know you sometimes ask, would I have any referrals? So Doug Straharsik is uh, the CEO of AQR International. I think you guys would have a wonderful conversation. But yeah, he has a book with uh, Professor Peter Clough, who has developed this mental toughness model. And it's called Developing Mental Toughness. And they are going to be releasing their third edition of it shortly. So I think that that's a great start for anyone. There's loads of different chapters between, you know, mental toughness in, in work, in organizations, in sports. Uh, it, it looks at it from an education actually is a huge area where mental I toughness bet. is applied. Yeah. One that I would recommend is The Adversity Quotient by Paul Stoltz. And uh, there's a wonderful model which I've belonged for doing pain discovery and it's called core and it's four elements that help you to develop your um, resilience control ownership reach and endurance so uh, strongly recommend that book it was very influential for me perfect excellent okay so tell me this you've got a golden ticket you can go back in time and you can advise the idiot lawn or age 23 what one choice bit of advice would you give her that you know she would have ignored? I would have told myself it's not going to happen overnight. I think when you're young, you have this, I'm going to, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to be a psychologist by the time I'm with, no, 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 that, that doesn't happen. There are, there are going to be spanners in the work that come along the way that slow things down. And I, I think when you put that pressure on yourself to be everything at once and it's going to happen as soon as I have my degree, that's it. I'm going to be a successful coach. No. And do you really deserve to be one <laughs> if it happens overnight? No, you don't. No. So you, you need scar tissue to be a coach. Yes, absolutely. So it, it, it's one of those things. Definitely, I would have told myself to be more patient because along the line when it's not happening, are happening as fast as you want it to happen, whatever your goals are, you know, I think this is applicable for everyone. You can become very disheartened very quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the mental toughness, if you don't, if you're not willing to keep your skin in the game and to be in that arena and win or lose, but just to continue to show up every day, but that, that want to be in the arena can dwindle very quickly or dwindle when you don't see it happening and when you're, you're not looking at the long term, you know, you're like, I want this and I want it right now. And if it's not happening, it must mean that I'm failing on something. 
there's something I'm not doing or well, it's not the- there's a really important di- uh, distinction between failing in role and failing at an identity level. Yes. Um, who yes. you are is perfect. Yes. And if you have that mindset, that belief system, then whatever happens in your role means that you can bounce back and, unless it's fatal. But I'm pretty sure studying psychology, almost nothing is likely to cause fatality. And it's the same in sales. You, you, you fuck up a sale. It's not the end of the world. You screw up a cold call. No one dies. So don't keep beating yourself up because of role failure. Learn from it and teach every failure as a, a teachable moment. And uh, I think, like you, I was very impatient when I was young. And I'm convinced that there is some massive cosmic joke, which is wisdom is wasted on the old and youth is wasted on the young. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so- true. Okay, excellent. Lorna, this has been really, really insightful. I'd love to have you back. And I've got a couple of roundtables I'd like to bring you back on as well. Absolutely, I'd love to. How can people get hold of you? So I am always uh, welcome at following or, you know, if people want to um, connect with me on LinkedIn or something, Lorna Lawless. Uh, I also have AQR Ireland. So as I said, I'm a master trainer over here in Ireland for, for AQR. We do, you know, if anyone wants to have their mental toughness assessed, uh, please do shoot me an email. I'm at Lorna at, at nextlevelcoaching.ie is my email as well. Um, or as I said, just I think the easiest way now to just keep everything in one spot uh, is to just connect with me on, on LinkedIn. And uh, do, if you want to get your, uh, get your mental toughness assessed. And, I'm first start, in the queue. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've got some teams that I'm going to have to assess fairly soon within my clients. Um, so uh, I definitely want to go down that road. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Lorna Lawless, thank you so much. Wonderful session. Thank you so much, Marcus. I look forward to chatting to you again soon. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, God knows if you haven't, you're dead. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, then please like, comment, share and subscribe. If you're feeling uh, generous or you're feeling cruel, feel free to leave an honest review on either Apple or Google Podcasts. And if you're the owner or the CEO of a tech company in the 10 to 50 million turnover mark, and you want to grow a business that's sustainable, that's profitable, built on strong fundamentals, and is experiencing consistent hypergrowth year on year, and you want to build a revenue operations team, marketing, sales, customer success, account growth, where the employees are really committed to the customer's success. And they're doing work that they feel is important and meaningful. And they love coming to work. You want to be a destination employer. You want customers who come back decade after decade. Then let's have a chat. My email is marcus at laughs-last.com. Or you can DM me on LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.